This is Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yeah, welcome to Motor Mania. I'm Damien Reed. This is the only interactive car show on UAE Radio, so we give you a motoring vice. We talk about what's happening in the car world, and we let you have a voice on road safety issues as well, keeping your company all right through until noon. And here's what's uh, coming up, too. We're, we're going to be talking about the Ineos Grenadier. I got to have a run in it and uh, speak to the guys that look after the Ineos brand in the region. I'll tell you uh, when it will be available here. There's a lot of interest in that one as well. But right now, it's time Time for a quick catch-up with Intersan Giado of Motoring Middle East about what's happening in the world of cars. Good morning, Intersan. Good morning, Damien. How are you doing? Very good, thanks. Very good. Um, I, I want to start off straight up with something that um, that was uh, big news in the world globally, I think, in terms of launches, and that's the new Ford Ranger that was uh, that was announced this week. Um, I got to – I haven't seen it yet, but I, I sat in on an online chat with it. And uh, it's going to be uh, on sale here later next year. It's it's being sold in 180 markets, uh, but a completely new vehicle. This one, well, it's, it's a, it's it's a, it's it's version three of of the current uh, chassis, but it's uh, but it's effectively all new. Have you had a chance to uh, to dive into that one yet? Yes, I'm a big fan of the current Ranger. It's an excellent, excellent off-road vehicle. It's an excellent lifestyle vehicle. They sell it here currently as a commercial variant and as a wild track for sort of families and outdoorsy types. And I have to say, for a lot of people who don't need the bulk and, dare I say, girth of an F-150, uh, Ranger is an excellent, excellent vehicle. Um, here, it only comes with a diesel engine. I believe Altair, the local dealer, has just started selling it with a 2.3 EcoBoost engine, which is apparently really good. Yeah. From what I understand, it's really quick. Well, and go on. I was going to say that the new one promises to be more the same, but better, stronger for off-road, bigger, a little bit wider, a range of diesel engines, I think two-liter turbos, single and twin turbo. There's a three-liter V6 diesel, which is going to be quite interesting. And there's going to be a Ranger Raptor version. Uh, we are going to get the Ranger Raptor version. It's almost guaranteed to happen. I don't think we're going to get the diesels this time. Because I think the petrols are more than enough for most people. It's easy to live with. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because you say the 2.3-litre EcoBoost petrol engine, but there's also the 3-litre V6 turbo diesel, which I think will be, uh, will be amazing. Now, this car is being built in conjunction with Volkswagen for their next Amarac. So as a result, uh, I've got a feeling because Volkswagen always said that the, that the tray has to take a Euro-sized pallet in the back. So as a result of that, this now takes a Euro-sized pallet in the back. And the way they've done that is that they've, uh, they've moved the rear suspension dampers to outside the chassis rails, which gives you that wider cargo area, um, because you don't have the intrusion of the shock absorber tower. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a, probably a, even a little bit more practical, even more so than the previous one. Um, but it also gives you a bit more wheel articulation for off-roading. So I think that's uh, – I'm really looking forward to get my hands on it. I think it's going to be a great truck. What I was most impressed me about the Ranger was how car-like it was to drive. It was basically like driving a Ford Edge or any one of these normal SUVs. And then off-road, the ride was really incredible. I've had speeds of up to 120 kilometers per hour in the sand, on the flats, obviously. Mm. It was incredibly stable and smooth because it's so long. Adding the extra width will only help. I think the petrol is the way to go. The diesels yeah. are great for range. And people come from certain markets. For example, South Africans love these cars. They're big in Africa because of how far they can go a single tank of diesel. Out here, that's not a question. People like the smoothness of a petrol engine. And the power, it's proven. We've seen it. Anybody's had a Mustang in the last four or five years that's driven EcoBoost. 
Oh, yeah. the year for sure. Yeah, I would say the petrol's the way to go. I think so, and and obviously it's been it's been developed, uh, you know, globally. But a lot of design and engineering input from Australia because it is, believe it or not, it's they the, se- the flag, it's the second. Well, of course, it's the second. It's the second biggest selling car down there, outright behind the Hilux. So you know the 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 the, the four door pickups are massive there. Now to to carry on to that, the reason why I'm leading into that is uh, is it because it's been launched in partnership with ARB, the Australian uh, Accessories Company. So there's going to be hundreds of accessory options which will get the same warranty as the car, and everything is designed with the wrap, with with the Ranger in mind. So for instance, things like when you're fitting winches, it won't block the radiator. For example, the light fittings will will click in. Um, so that's actually really good because. Because it means that you've got a pretty much endless supply of, of what used to be called aftermarket options because now it's been designed with them through through the ARB network. ARB is a super well-respected name in that space. I think ARB works very closely with manufacturers, so everything obviously will fit and be safe. That's the most important thing. I think the thing to point out as well is that ARB builds for a lot of lifestyle options. Now, in Australia, people actually use these cars to work. But in Dubai, they're going to, or UAE in general, they're going to use them to play. So they want a bit of lift. They want bigger tires. They want somewhere to put a tent, a roof rack. They, they're going to put a snorkel. They don't need to. There's no rivers to wade, but, you know, it's out there. But these things are going to be used by a lifestyle case. So very, very different to other in Australia, but still going to look good. I think for a lot of people, this car just makes sense. People mm. who got into F-150s, if you're not towing jet skis or yachts, this is the perfect size. It still fits into a standard mall space, but can take your family and all of their stuff. And if they need more stuff than a Euro-sized pallet, you may have questions to ask about your family. Yeah, well, exactly. And, and in terms of comfort inside, you've got uh, a 10.1 or a 12-inch vertical screen now that's hooked up to the Sync 4 system. So you've got Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. You've got wireless phone charging. Um, there's an electric handbrake now, electric shifter with it. Um, there's over 50 modules now that can be updated over the air or using the Ford app. So, you know, the, it, it's got... It, Pickup truck it, over the air updates. Yes. What have we come to? So, well, it's because it's a family car in a lot of markets now. So it's ticking boxes all over the place. Um, it should be on sale here probably before the middle of next year from what I'm hearing. But that's, of course, there's an asterisk next to that, which is next to every pretty much every vehicle at the moment, that there being no supply problems from the old microchip issue that we've been talking about yet. Um no prices yet, but it will be at a premium. So, but it is a very modern looking car. And I tell you what, if you're looking for a Hilux or a Navara, you definitely, definitely should take a long, hard look at this one. Yeah, definitely. One of my top picks that the Hilux Adventure, a little more agricultural, but more power. It's got a big petrol V6. But these cars, once you drive them, you think, hang on, why do I need anything else? Why need a regular SUV? These can do everything. Yeah. Yeah. Now, at the, at the other end of the scale, you've been driving um, something low and sleek that's completely the opposite of the Ford Ranger. Tell us about what you've you've been behind it's, the wheel. It's a really hard week. It's been an absolute struggle. I had to pick up the keys to McLaren GT. Of course, it is the grand touring version of McLaren's pretty much incredible supercar chassis. You see the same thing in the 720S. This is slightly softer, a little wider. It's basically fundamentally the same car, same engine, just sort of backed off a little bit. And to be honest with you, I really liked it. Um, everything about it just seems just right. Now, I love my Italians, but their interfaces, the informatics, etc., all that stuff is a little bit finicky to use because you know, it has to have the Italian flavor. The McLaren just sort of got on with it. It's about as complicated as using your printer. Everything works. The stereo is exceptional. The ride was sublime. And the power, 621 horsepower, 3.8 liter V8, uh, goes like the clappers. 
it just the feel of this car through the corners on the straights the handling really really excellent of course you can turn it up all the way and turn it into like a proper snarling supercar that's my only sort of complaint about it that when you say grand tour you're thinking something like you know ferrari 812 a big four seat car or at least with two seats to keep stuff and place for your golf bag this does have place for a golf bag but it still kind of leads closer to the supercar side of the equation that and niggling issues about quality but you know it's a mclaren it's never going to be like a toyota but still very very lovely car to drive yeah I was, go- I was going to ask you because this is the mclaren gt now as you say when you think of gts you think of front engine four-seater or two plus two at least things like aston martins that sort of thing but this is a mid-engine car that's still two-seater but that's ticking off the gt book because you've got a little bit of storage space in in the back do, do you think it fi- do you think it fits the gt moniker I think it does, but only just. It's definitely more of a supercar, and it's happiest on a winding road. But to be honest with you, you're on the highway doing 100, 120. It just gets out of the way. The stereo is good. The insulation is excellent. The ride, that's what matters in a Grand Tour. They can gulp down huge distances. The fuel economy is unbelievable for a 600-horsepower car. This thing thinks it's an Audi. So, yes, it is kind of GT-esque, but it really, really stretches the term. It's like a four-door coupe. It's not a coupe, is it? But, okay, it's got a sleeker roof line, but it's not a coupe, is it? <laughs> Similarly, this is not a GT, but this is a very, very comfortable everyday supercar. Yeah, absolutely. Well, stick around. Uh, I'm going to ask you after the break about uh, icons of Porsche. I'm really, really disappointed I couldn't get down there for work reasons, but uh, that sounded like an amazing event. Stick around. We've got Intershanjado on the line from Motoring Middle East. We're back in the driver's seat. This is Motormania on Dubai I 103.8. Yes, you're listening to Motormania, and I'm still joined with uh, Intershan Giada of Motoring Middle East. We're with you through until midday. And Intershan, just before the break, uh, I mentioned Icons of Porsche that was held last weekend. You were down there, I believe. What was your feedback on that one? What an incredible event, Damien. I'm not even a giant fan of Porsches, and I came over <laughs> from the event wanting to buy one. It was just so beautifully put together from top to bottom. So you had, of course, a vintage section with all the vintage cars. What I really liked was the presentation. You had all the vintage posters behind it, sort of in-period artwork and advertising. And then you had little bits of details on things like, you know, the various logos over the years and stuff like that. And for people who get kind of bored of the nerdy stuff, there was plenty of new modern supercars. There were race cars on display with this incredible, huge, full-length, sort of a walk through the years of the cars. Their cars were simply too powerful. So often they had stories of that being told through the event. And then on top of that, you had DJ areas. You had a great, great F&B area. Uh, you had artwork, like official commissioned artwork for the space and a giant space for owners to display their cars. So very, very comprehensive lineup of all things Porsche. Hopefully Fan- you got all of that. Yeah, fantastic. No, I, 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 absolutely. And I think, to be honest, I think that's probably the way where uh, future motor show style things will be heading in that direction where companies are, uh, are doing their own kind of branding thing and uh, and just making a bit of a fun place to go to. So, yeah, I had the I, I, I had a look at the preview, couldn't get down there, unfortunately, because it interfered with some Formula 1 work that I was doing at the time. But, uh, but the good news is I understand it's coming back next year. So I will be down there for sure. 
Um, now, I want to uh, just quickly, because we mentioned this at the top of the program about rewarding good drivers. I want to get your opinion on this, Shan. Do you think it's a good idea to uh, to reward um, uh, motorists for just being motorists? 23 motorists have been honoured in Ashman for not committing any traffic violations or causing accidents throughout the year. They are recognised as part of the Golden Points initiative that's aimed at raising road safety awareness and motivating the public to follow the rules. So we asked before, and we asked on Instagram as well, um, instead of a certificate, how about things like discounts on insurance, free vehicle registration, free service, or do you think maybe that um, that it w- being rewarded is not really uh, something we need to be looking at anyway? Should we be just doing that? What, what do you think? I think it's an extremely good initiative. I think it's really important to obviously do what they're doing and make sure that people are aware that good driving is worth something. I'm too careful in the more psychology standpoint. And while I think it's good for people to be positively reinforced, if somebody shouts at you, you're not going to remember it as much as if somebody says a nice thing about you. However, people's natures are a little funny like that. They prefer to complain about things. So when they had a bad experience and they see somebody cut them up in the road or whatever, they're going to remember that. They very rarely remember when somebody let them in or they paused for somebody to cross traffic on a crosswalk, a pedestrian. People just aren't built that way, in my opinion. They just don't want to say nice things. They want to complain about stuff. So definitely, I think it's a tough one. I think we should be rewarding people. But yeah. you definitely need to be still working on the de-incentivization. You still need to tell people don't do bad things on the road, if that makes any sense. Because I don't think people will spread the gospel. They're just not going to go around telling their friends, oh, I got a gift from the police, etc. I think I'm happy to get it, but will I tell somebody about it? I'm not sure. Yeah. Having said that, good initiative, for sure. Um, now, in the studio, of course, as we start at the top of the program, have uh, motoring journalist Noel Ebden with us as well. And Noel, what, what do you think about rewarding drivers for this one? Yeah, I mean, it, look, as Imtishad said, I mean, you know, there's there's no bad thing with rewarding good driving. Um, it's just got to be done in the right way, as 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 we, uh, you know, as Matthew alluded to earlier on. If the car's sitting there doing nothing and the person only does 500 kilometres a year, then obviously they they're going to probably get a certificate. So um, I, I think it needs it needs to be done in the right way. But it work, but yeah, it, it does work here. I think um, you know, c- comparing it to other markets is probably. Un- unwise because you know it's a uh, uh, this market here you know we need to do something about some of the manners on the road etc and things but uh, yeah no it's uh, it's good good initiative why not yeah now going back to we we're talking about the ford ranger bef- just a few moments ago you drove the ford uh the f-150 yes and you agree with 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 him to about the size of them that perhaps the ranger is is uh is big enough but the the f-150 it's the same car that i drive and i think it's the same car in the, in the Shan that you also drive which is the 3.5 liter hybrid v6 platinum series yeah i mean that god i mean i i, I have an f-150 but an old one and uh, I was shocked. I, I got in that car. And I was this this. It's a luxury SUV. It just happens to have a pickup back on the back of it. Um, you, you know, you can. I mean, it's even got a desk in it. I mean, it's yes. it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, you get inside it, and if you actually forget about the bit on the back, you forget it's a pickup truck. Um, and it was probably one of the most comfortable cars I've driven in a while. Mm. However, that said, it is huge. Um, it, it even feels bigger than my uh, my own F one hundred and fifty, which is a, a much older generation. But um, 
I mean, parking it in, in a car park and stuff was tough. I mean, the, the, you know, you, there's, the spaces here seem to be getting smaller or, or I'm getting older. I'm not quite sure one of the two. But uh, the, um, the Ranger, I think, I, I totally agree with him, Shan. I think the Ranger is enough pickup for most people. Unless you're carrying motocross bikes in the back or you, you're yeah. using it for a business or whatever, um, I think the, uh, the Ranger is going to prove to be really popular. And I think you'll see, especially with um, you know, the price of fuel at the moment as well, I think you'll see people moving down pickup truck um, yeah. size wise i mean you'll definitely see more hiluxes rangers and uh, you know the, the navaras and stuff on the road because uh, i think that's the way it's going to go yeah and and just very quickly I quickly add a point to yes. what uh, noel said so yeah this is one of the reasons i'm currently downsizing from my sort of similar vintage f-150 and i use the word downsizing in air quotes to a vintage land cruiser which noel is well aware of <laughs> Because most of the car spaces here are designed for a cruiser or a patrol. There's a reason why these cars are so successful. And it's because the whole country seems to be designed around the land cruiser or the patrol. So an F-150 is very good. But just be aware that it is a whole lot of car, a whole immense amount of car. And when you're on the highway, fine. But if you're in a mall, that's an extra minute of parking that other people behind you may not appreciate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 100%, 100%. Now, uh, also, uh, quickly, the Shan, uh, another story that came up about uh, cars being impounded and selling for as little as 2,000 dirhams. Now, this is coming through from the Abu Dhabi Judicial Department. They've organised two car auctions at the Al-Mafraq vehicle impound where 274 cars of different models were sold, ranging from 2,000 to 175,000 dirhams. There were 850 bidders in total. Um, what, what's your thoughts on, firstly using that as an incentive to 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 not break the rule because you lose your car and secondly buying one of these vehicles at auction um some 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 pitfalls there perhaps so first off the bat definitely works as a de-incentive for doing bad things because if you are the kind of chap or chapess who basically takes a car and does things that gets you impounded i don't believe in second chances take that car away if you're putting illegal modifications increasing the power or driving unsafely I don't think you're going to learn your lesson by any amount of fines. So take it away and make you drive something small and awful. On the other hand, whether these cars are a good buy is somewhat questionable because they've been questionably modified almost certainly or they're in very bad shape. That 2000 dirham car, I don't think you just take take it from the impound yard and go straight to the RTA and drive off the spinnies with it. I don't think that's going to happen. It's going to need a lot of work just to make it road legal. So be very, very wary of these cars you get in the impound yard. Most of them, they've been impounded because the drivers did not look after them or weren't the nicest yeah. of people. Yeah. So I don't think you should just take them. Think that's a good buy straight off the bat. It's going to need work. Yeah. No, you've yeah. you've you've purchased a car or two from from auction here and there. What, what, have, what are your thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> um, buyer beware is the word. Hundred um, percent. Um, you really look. There's a reason cars are in auctions. Um, people don't. Uh, people with a, a a really good car with a full service history and things don't tend to stick them in auctions. So uh, you've got to go in with your eyes open. You've got to know what you're looking for. For your average person in the street that doesn't really know cars and what to look for, I'd stay away. But uh, if you know your cars and have a bit of background in understanding what to look for uh then yes that th- you can you can grab a bargain you can also grab something that's quite terrible as well so um <laughs> it is a it's a bit of a minefield so yeah i, I uh, buyer beware is definitely the uh, phrase and about the impounding to start with um yeah i i mean as long as it's warranted yes um you know losing your car for some people would be financially a massive blow so it's got to be for you know the right reasons uh but uh you know if you're i mean for example if you've modified 
your car to the nth degree and not got it actually sort of sorted out through the RTA and things like that, then yeah, you probably deserve to have it uh, impounded whereas uh, or taken away from you. But, um, mm. yeah, as long as it's for the right reasons, yeah, I've, again, I, I don't have anything against that. Yeah, so we're getting uh, feedback from our from our poll and uh, should we reward good drivers? 89% say yes, we should. 11% say uh, as is. It's not a good thing. So, so there we go. Um, so stick around. Emma Shant, thank you so much. Um, we're going to speak to you again on December 11, and uh, you'll be live in the studio with us just to, uh, just to give you the heads up. So um, looking forward to that to, uh, on uh, December 11. Emma Shant. Looking forward to it. See you then, Damien. Thank you so much. Uh, in the Shandiata, Motoring Middle East, who'll be with us live in the studio next time around. And uh, we'll be back after this break. This is Motor Mania. Now shut up and drive. On Dubai I 103.8. Good morning and welcome to Motormania. So here's what's coming up. Well, we've got, we're talking about the uh, Ineos Grenadier. I got to drive it around and uh, to speak to the guys that uh, look after the Ineos brand in the region. So I'll tell you when uh, that's available here. And later on, we're talking about uh, restoring vehicles with fellow motoring journalist Noel Ebden, who's uh, in the studio to talk about a few other things as well. So uh, right now, though, time for a bit of uh, fix it or flip it. So tell us about your car and we'll tell you how much it's all worth. How does it work? It's easy. We need your details about your car, the make, the model, the year, the colour and the mileage. But uh, I'm not doing it all on my own because I'm now joined by valuation guru Matthew Davison on the line. He is the head of pricing for Algo Driven. Um, Matthew, well, good morning. Firstly, you've been uh, driving around, though, in uh, the new Tesla Model Y. Um, tell us a little bit about more about this. Yeah, morning, Damien. It's uh, been a long wait here for us. As you know, uh, the U.S. got the Model Y in 2020. Uh, It's now being rolled out across Europe and the Middle East. And um, Tesla were very kind to call me and say, we've now got the Model Y here in Dubai. Would you like it for a day? Um, You've never seen a guy move so quickly down (laughs) Shakeside Road to get that Tesla. But you know what? It, 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 when you drive these things, and I know you've driven a lot of electric cars, you, you feel like this is the future for sure. And um, my, my general, without rambling on about electric cars, which we don't have time to do, but I'll tell you one thing about Tesla. I don't care much for the styling, and even it's not exceptional build quality compared to some of the other stuff starting to come out from the legacy manufacturers. But where Tesla sings and shines is their software. And it just feels like their, their, their software tech is five years ahead. And I don't see anybody catching up with them anytime soon. And, and that's why I would have a Tesla tomorrow, mainly mm. because of their, their history and, and the advantage they've got over the rest of the market. Yeah, now you, you, you've gone out with a pretty bold prediction here. You think this is going to be the best-selling uh, EV car out there. What, what, what's, what, why do you think that might be the case? I do. I think the Model Y sits perfectly between um, their, their cheaper alternatives and obviously their top-of-the-range stuff like the, the S. Um, but I think it's the usability of it. I mean, it's half the price of the X, and mm. it, it still feels like an SUV. I mean, it's a midsize. Uh, a lot of people are saying it's a stretched vertical version of the, the Model 3. Um, it, it feels a little bit different than that to me, but I, I feel it's, it's the perfect size, very spacious, and I think 
globally this this will out the demand will outstrip supply i don't see a world where there's going to be tesla model y's sat around that people can just pick one up i think there's the, the waiting list is going to continue to be there even when um the factory in austin and berlin germany opens i still think there's going to be at least a couple of years where this is going to be massively massively in demand um you know breaking news i i've, I've ordered one myself post that um Why? test drive yeah because and and I, I just look at the I look at the metrics. I think uh, I'm not going to pay anything for fuel anymore. I'm not going to pay anything for servicing, <laughs> and, and I, I I genuinely genuinely believe I'll drive this car for a couple of years and barely lose any money. So it's just a financial thing for me, and I get to I get to enter the the EV world first EV car that I've ever ever purchased. Fantastic. So what what are the specs that you've got on the one that you've uh, you've ordered in terms of uh, performance and and etc. Yeah. You- You've got, as you know, um, there's different specs, but here in the in the Middle East, you can only order the long range. There's no there's no performance available to order at the moment. Um, I did, however, make some tweaks. I chose the blue color, which I really love. Um, I've gone for the slightly bigger 20 inch wheels. It comes with 19. Um, I went up to 20, and I go. I went for the white interior, and finally, I picked fully autonomous driving because even Ooh. though it's um, they're still playing around with the beaters, I, I think. I just want it there, and if I can, I want to be involved in in some of the testing as well. So, yeah, I don't know when I'll get it because nobody seems to know, but they're they're saying before the end of Q1, so let's assume – I'll get it February or March, but let's let's see. Once I get it, me and you are going for coffee, and we're going to have a we're going to have a fun afternoon with that car. I am definitely up for that one. Um, yeah, they wouldn't be the first ones who'd be talking about supply issues, but we'll come to that a little bit later. But I would like to ask you about something that we've spotted in the newspaper. Now, the story came out: twenty three motorists have been honoured in Ajman for not committing any traffic violation or causing accidents throughout the year. Now, safe drivers were recognised as part of the Golden Points initiative that's aimed at raising road safety awareness and motivating the public to follow the rules. Rewarding good drivers, do you think this is a good idea? And and what reward would, would motorists appreciate? We're, we're asking people through our Instagram poll as well, instead of a certificate, would you be looking at perhaps, I don't know, maybe discounts on an insurance, uh, free vehicle registration, servicing coupons? What what do you think about all this about rewarding for, uh, for not committing any violations? Well, how can you not say it's not a good idea? It's It's a fantastic idea. I think it needs to be measured in the context of how much these people use their car. I mean, I can sit and not drive for one year and I'm, and I get golden points. So it needs to be measured. Um, I think the way that I would like to do it is a, a subsidy on fuel. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that then, then the people that also actually drive get, get a benefit. So it kind of automatically measures that, that individual. So for example, if you went the whole year, um, and you didn't commit any violations, you would get, say, the following year a discount from fuel. And that way, it's the people that actually drive that, that are measured and get the discount on fuel. So if you don't drive much, you don't really get much of the benefit. So I think something along those lines, and, and of course, insurance companies should automatically uh, recognize responsible driving. I mean, so there should there should be the best possible rates for people that are responsible. But I think if you measured it against, say, a discount on fuel, that would be pretty cool. I'm going to bring uh, 
Noel Ebden in on this one just just very quickly. Noel's in the studio with us today. Noel, um, thanks for for joining us live in the studio. It's great to have actually someone live in here um, for the first time in a while. It's good to so, be back. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Do, do you, would you reward? Would would you take a reward for, uh, for 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 just driving? You know, doing doing the right thing on the road. Absolutely, yeah. Why not? I mean, I'd take you know any reward is would be great. But I like the idea of the uh, fuel subsidy as well because. As you say, you could just be sat with your car in the driveway and get rewarded. So, yeah. yeah, that definitely works, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, look, we're going to go straight to the lines, um, and we've got text message for you first, Matthew. Um, let's get stuck into it. We've got Dave who's uh, texting. He's got a Dodge Charger V6 2014, 114,000 kilometres, and it's blue. Yeah, so the Chargers, like the Challengers, there's two important parts for this. First of all, we hope it's GCC because the, the American spec ones, they are a lot cheaper for a reason. Mostly all of them have got some kind of history with them. Um, the V8 is obviously a lot more uh, desirable, the road and track, the 5.7 V8. But those V6s with those sort of kilometers, you'd be looking probably at early 40s, something like 40, 42,000 for that car if it's GCC. Okay, okay, fair enough. A uh, few, few more texts have coming in. Arvan has a Mitsubishi Lancer EX 2012. It's red with 99,000 kilometres and it's white. Yeah, the Lancer is such a popular car now. And as we're going more and more towards the older ones, they, they obviously hold, hold their value quite well as well. Um, but this one would be, with those kilometers, probably 28 to 30K, and it will sell super fast. I was chatting recently with some friends and saying how little inventory is out there for Lancers at the moment, and I saw a hire car company that's renting them for 2500 a month. This is a car that used to rent for about half that price. <laughs> 990 I think. Ago. Yeah, not long yeah. ago. Fantastic. Yeah, okay. Um, Right, so oh, sorry, but on the line now we've got uh, Robert. Robert's on the phone, and Robert has a uh, Mazda MX-5, uh, one owner, GCC spec, thirty-two thousand kilometres with a powered hardtop, two thousand and eight um, manual. Robert, that's um, that sounds nice. I like the MX-5s. Yes, it's an awesome car, very underappreciated in this region. Uh, I can take on any Porsche Boxster uh, around the curves for sure. <laughs> uh, I have a very hard time letting it go uh, since I've just gotten a, a Honda S2000 as well. Uh, so I'm just uh, in, you know, between a hard rock uh, and a, what do you call it? A rock and a, a, rock hard, and place, a hard place, yeah. Yeah, as to what to do with it, uh, uh, but I'm not going to let it go for nothing. So my question is that, what is a good uh, uh, valuation for this car? Matthew? Yeah, some great, some great questions in there, and I can, I can certainly answer the, form, the former. I mean, look, this, the Miata is, is what it's also commonly known as. This car would still fetch I would say anything between twenty-five to 28,000 dirhams. Um, there won't be hardly any and you if you could sell it now you're right in the middle of winter the weather's fantastic um take somebody for a spin in that and they're probably sold so i mean you, you that that's the sort of price range you're looking for the car um i would definitely sell that and keep the honda the s2000 is now becoming so rare yeah uh, we i had a friend about nine months ago who asked me to actually help him source one uh, so that's that's the, the level the s2000 and uh, obviously a car that was popularized in the original Fast and Furious movie. Um, mm -hmm. So, look, I, I would 
I would uh, keep hold of the S2000 and fix that up and have that looking in tip-top shape and get rid of the MX-5, and you're going to get 25 to 28K. But that's uh, quite uh, lower than the U.S. values right now, which are getting between 12 and 15,000. So if it's that yeah. low in the market, to be honest with you, I'd rather store it and keep it for my son, who will be using it in a couple of years' time, rather than just give it away, yeah. because it's literally brand new. And the service has been, you know, up to spec every year, even though I only do 2,000 kilometers, it's been, it's been maintained uh, to the T. Yeah, you can't measure you can't measure the U.S. against the the UAE. It's a completely different market. I mean, some and you sure. can't if it's GCC spec, you can't send the car that way either. Um, it look, it's very easy for you then if you if you've got the ability to keep it, and it sounds like you've kept it in great condition, and it's it's an ideal car for your son. Then keep it. That's what we talk about on the show often. That it's not always the the practical practical thing to sell it, but bear in mind that. Uh, particularly people in the UE, we, we like our newer cars here. Um, yep. And somebody taking on a 13-year-old car, you just won't get the value here. Where the US, they, they would appreciate it. And you've got a lot more buyers, a 330 million population. So, yeah, uh, if that's the case, keep it. Sounds like a wonderful car. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much for the advice. No problems, Robert. And I'll tell you what, I'd be keeping the uh, the S2000 as well. What a great little car that is. Um, one of the all-time favourites. Uh, yeah, the S2000, lovely little car, Matthew. Um, really, really nice. And uh, tough choice because I also like the MX-5 as well. But, um, yeah, doing the right thing. Uh, I've got another one for you on the text, uh, Matthew. And it's a uh, Audi Q7 Sport 2010, 170,000 kilometres, and it's white. Yeah, Damien, we talk about these cars quite a lot, but when these European cars like the Audis, BMs and Mercs, when they start to get to this sort of 10 to 12-year-old mark, they, they become expensive to run and maintain, mm-hmm. um, and that has a, an effect on the residual values. This car with those kilometers would not sell for much more than twenty six to 28,000 Um if it was even in great condition, if it's the V8 uh, rather than the V6, it might push 30,000, 31. Um, but it is time to get out of this car now. It's about to become very expensive to maintain. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine also um, you've probably got a fairly similar answer for this other one. 2014 Ford Explorer, 110,000 kilometers. Drive it or sell it? This is uh, Patrick's question. This is one of the cars in my garage, <laughs> my, one of my daily runarounds. Uh, I've, I've got the, the year before, I've got the 2013 XLT, but my kilometers, believe it or not, is 110,000. So easiest car in the world for me to price. But this, this one will be about 45, 46,000 if it is the XLT as an example. Um, they, it will sell very fast at the moment because it's a seven-seat affordable car and a lot of families are looking for these. So know that it will sell very fast and yeah. know that you will get uh, mid-40,000s for it. Yeah, for sure. Well, stick around. We'll be back more with uh, with Matthew to tell you how much your car is worth. We're back in the driver's seat. On Motor Mania. Only on Dubai I 103.8. Yes, welcome back. I'm Damien Ridd, and this is uh, Fix It or Flip It. Fix It so, or Flip It. Tell us about your car, and we'll tell you how much it is worth. How does that work? It's easy. We need the details about your car, the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. Uh, but I'm joined, of course, by valuation guru Matthew Davison, who's head of pricing at uh, Algo Driven. And, uh, Matthew, we're going to go straight to the line. We've got Farhan 
on the phone here, and Farhan has a, uh, a Range Rover 2013 Sport HSC, uh, very low kilometres, Farhan, um, 125,000 kilometres. Tell us a little bit about it. It's um, no accidents, uh, you know, well maintained with the dealer till 100,000 kilometres, and now maintained outside, driven by myself, and I'm the second owner. So how much would it sell for? So, And should I keep it or sell it? Okay, and it's full leather and uh, black trim, Matthew. Yeah, last of the old shapes, 2013. So they have um, now started to depreciate quite a bit. Uh, you've got some great selling features in there. I mean, if, if it's genuinely no accidents, that needs to be uh, the headline part of, of your advertising because there won't be huge amounts of them that haven't had a little bit of repainting or some kind of accident. I would say if it's a HSC, you're looking around fifty-three to 55000 I would say, like we talked about at the top of the show, it's time to move on because they start to get expensive. Eight-year-old Range Rover, definitely uh, no warranty now. Seven years is the the max you can extend the warranty to. So, yeah, it could start to become quite pricey with that suspension and some of the electrical issues they have. So, look, time to move on, Fifty-three to 55000 Thank you. Great. Thanks very much, Farhan. Uh, now we've got... Uh James and uh, James has a, a 2003 LR3 black. Uh, quite a few kilometres on the on the on the clock there. Two hundred forty thousand. James, good morning. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Uh, so you've got the LR3 V6. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a 2009 uh, black interior, black exterior. Uh, it's been a really good car. We we bought it sort of two three years ago. For the sort of family runarounds, um, the mileage is quite high, 240,000. Uh, haven't really had many issues with it. The, the air suspension is a, a little bit ropey sometimes, um, but it's it's uh, generally been really good. So, just interested to know um, if it's worth selling it or just keep running it. And also, I sold my Audi A6 recently because of the the problems that you guys have been discussing it was it was a 2004 uh, so I a gearbox issue with it I'm, I'm potentially interested in a, a Cayenne GTS around 10 years old about so 70,000 dirhams but I'm not sure if that's a good idea or not so some advice on that would be great yeah Matthew uh, Cayenne GTS as a, as a second car but also um, yeah 240,000 kilometres on the 2009 sorry I think I said 3 2009 LR3 of course yeah, well, there's a lot to unpack. So good morning, and let's start with the LR3. This is a car that was obviously replaced by the LR4. The the LR3 ended in 2009, so you've got the last of, of the LR3s. They they basically didn't change the design much because that side of it worked, worked at the time. It was the suspension, electrical issues, and, uh, you know, quite a few mechanical problems as well. So um, they, they are... Uh, riddled with issues and i doubt you'd get much more than 18 to twenty thousand for it in the market right now if you do go for the cayenne um try and get one um 2010 onwards because that's when the the shape change do not get the last of the older shape which was 2009 because they're 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 a similar story a car with a lot of issues and, and incredibly expensive but um if you if you get um 
probably something like a 2012-2013 Cayenne. Um, that's going to be a significant change from the LR3. You're going to enjoy driving that. Um, and it is one of the, the most popular sporty SUVs out there. How does Great. that sound? Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks very much, James. Uh, now, I've got uh, uh, Kevin, who's uh, texted in. He has a 2004 Infiniti Q- QX70S white, 5-litre um, V8, 85,000 kilometres, excellent condition with full dealer servicing. You, did you say 2004? It must be 2014. 2014. And Infiniti which model? Q- QX70S, uh, white, 5-litre V8, 85,000 kilometres. Yeah, that'll definitely be 14 if it's a QX70. Look, these cars, again, you know, as you're, you're well aware, it's it's uh, Toyota's luxury luxury arm, and um, they, they've always done super well here. I like the engine, actually, the 3.7 V6. It's it's a nice strike between power and uh, also economy. I think you're looking around 60K for that car uh, if it's the V6. Uh, it will sell well. There's not huge amounts of inventory on the market, but, yeah, earmark around 60,000 dirhams. Okay, fair enough. Uh, one here with no name on it, and it's a text message that says, either I'm the luckiest person or there's a huge mistake. I was renting the cheapest, his words, not mine, cheapest junk Renault, which is awful, for 1,450 dirhams a month. I walked into the Alpha showroom and leased a top-spec Giulietta Veloce for 1,712 dirhams a month. Uh, what an awesome little car. Never enjoyed a drive so much. It even has a little growl to it. What a deal. Uh, I didn't write this. Uh, this this came through, Matthew. Um, what do you think in terms of uh, the leasing option in in that regard of those two? Let's discuss. Yeah, so we 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 know why there's problems in the market. We had um, just before the pandemic hit, we had some of the worst years of new car sales. Uh, Eighteen and nineteen were particularly bad. Then twenty was zero new car sales. So we're now in a situation where. We don't have uh, many two to three year old cars because if you don't sell new cars, you don't have, um, you know, two to three year old older ones. So that is also filtered down to, to affect things like car rental companies. Now, leasing companies, they're starting to change and, and catch up, but they're behind the curve a little bit. So if you're really, really quick, you can jump in on leasing deals, which is, is, is probably the happy medium because used cars are, are way way overvalued compared to where they were a few years ago. There's a lot of issues getting hold of new cars as waiting lists. If there's a lease car there waiting to go, grab it. And I know um, I was speaking to friends at uh, BMW Alabafa, who are the leasing arm of BMW, and they're, they're just completely snowed under. They can't get the cars. They can't lease them fast enough. So yeah. if there are deals like that, grab them. Yeah, that sounds an amazing deal. Yeah, um, I've got, got Angus on the line. Angus, hold there for just one moment. I'm going to bring Noel Ebden into this one because uh, you've got a bit of experience about this, Noel. Yeah, I was actually offered that um, that <laughs> leasing deal. Um, I actually know somebody at Alpha who said to me, why are you, Why on earth are you like paying money for a car when you could lease? Um, and that's very much the way Europe's going with the, the whole leasing, uh, especially the places like the UK and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, gonna, it's just going to grow and grow here, I think. But the, at the moment, the pricing for leasing a car is... Uh, fantastic and Alpha especially I mean you can uh, that's a nice car to drive around in for a yeah. very very low price as well so brilliant well we'll stick around we'll be back after this with Matthew to tell you uh, how much more your car is worth we've got uh, a Toyota Land Cruiser white VXR coming up after the break um, so uh, if you've got any more give us your details to make the model the car the molly the, the colour and the mileage and uh, we'll be back with more fix it 
or flip it. And we're going to go straight to the line, Angus, because you've been so patient hanging on there. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, you've got a, uh, a Toyota Land Cruiser white VXR. Um, that uh, it's a, it's and it's also a manual as well. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So uh, what, you're looking to get a value. You're looking to sell. Uh, I guess I've had it for you know quite some time now. Second owner on it, and honestly, every time I park it somewhere, or even people follow me home and they keep on offering me you know varying varying amounts from twenty to forty, and sometimes even as high as sixty. And uh, never really looked at selling it, but you know, just listening to the program, it will be interesting to understand you know what is the real value of this type of car, and should I be you know, using this time now to get rid of it before it goes over the 400,000 mark. Yeah, so it's got 380,000 kilometres, Matthew. Um, yeah, yeah, my white Land Cruiser, manual, pretty heavily in demand. Well, it must be reasonably old if, if it's a manual. What year is it, Angus? 1999. Okay, so these cars, it's the shape that people are attracted to um, because it's such a cool-looking cool car. I mean, you, I, I would say the value is probably not not anything like you say you've been offered. Probably around 25 is the value. If people have offered you 40, I'd probably bite their hand off because um, maybe they're not, they weren't aware at the time of offering you what the kilometers and what the condition of the car was. And, and, and sometimes you'll get people initially offering you more to sort of secure you and then, and then take you down from there. But I, I would say anything you got over 25 would, would be good money. So if you're seriously looking at selling it and somebody genuinely wants to pay you anything close to 40000 I would take that because um, it's, I don't see how, it's, how it can be worth much more than that, uh, particularly now, as you say, it's past 400,000 kilometers. Okay, thanks. Good advice. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Angus. And we'll go straight to Raz. Raz, good morning. Uh, you have, I believe you have got a uh, Mercedes GL500 2015 model, less than 100,000 kilometres. Tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, morning. Um, so so I, I, I'm, I'm relatively a light user. So, um, And I bought this pre-owned from the certified program at, uh, at Kurgash. Okay, so it's a it's a pearl white, ninety eight thousand kilometers. Um, most importantly, it's GCC spec, Matthew. That 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 is right. Oh, this is a great one, Raz, because it's at that point now where it's as valuable as it's going to be. Um, it's going to start depreciating quite a lot after this, and you know, under a hundred thousand is such a psychological number. You know, you, if you put this out there at ninety eight thousand kilometers. I think you're going to get around 125,000 dirhams. I'd probably advertise it at 129. Um, but the key metric here is the kilometer value, 98,000, perfect time to sell it. These cars, um, things start to get a little bit pricey over the next coming few years. So, look, it is a good time to sell, and I think you'll get 125,000 for it. Um, in a couple of years, it'll be way below 100,000. So now's the time to, to cash in and decide what's next for you and your family. Sounds good. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much, Raz. And, and uh, now we've got uh, Nabil. Nabil, you've got uh, an XF Jaguar, uh, 257,997. You're incredibly precise on the kilometres. Um, and uh, what, what are you thinking? You're looking to sell or buy? Or, or, or just get a value? Yeah, good morning. In fact, I'm, I'm thinking maybe shifting to electrical cars. I have no issue with the Jaguar. It's a perfect car. It has been maintained all the time with the dealer. Anything that needs to be changed, it was done with the dealer since 2016. It's a GCC 
uh, specification cars. So I was saying, yeah, maybe it's time to shift to electrical cars and uh, want to get an idea about the price of it. Yeah, so Matthew, what do you think? XF 2016 says it's excellent condition, full option, and then fl- uh, flipping it for an electrical vehicle. Yeah, um, can only can only say that's that's starting to become a great option. I'm, I'm there myself. <laughs> um, but in, in terms of the car, that's a lot of kilometres for a 16, um, and that's where it's you know somebody looking at that is thinking, you know, they they come with a five year warranty, so I'm no longer in warranty, and that's a lot of kilometres. So people are going to look at that and be a bit concerned. So you need to price this correctly. I think the value is definitely under 50 for those kilometers, probably around um, 45, 46,000. Um, but you you definitely need to move this car on because um, it's, it's perfect now, but it won't be over the next year, 18 months. And um, yeah, you've got some pretty cool choices on the electrical side as well with, you know, Kia, yeah. Hyundai all coming out, even uh, Ford and, the, and the, the electric Mustang. So, yeah, um, time to move on. Uh, and I think you're going to get mid 40s for it. Great. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thanks very much, uh, Nabil. Now we're going to uh, Mustafa. Mustafa, you have a, uh, a BMW 428i gunmetal grey 2016 model, black interior, 140,000 kilometres. Uh, you're looking to perhaps sell it or you just want to get an idea of what it might be worth? Yeah, good morning. Um, just, uh, I, I've been looking to sell it, but uh, just wondering what's a good time to sell it, if it's uh, in the good range right now or, or not. I've kept it well, serviced it throughout. Um, so just see if we can get an idea. Yeah, so Matthew, so it's been serviced until 100,000 kilometres by BMW, and then uh, I believe, Mustafa, you've kept it serviced every 10,000k after that. Correct, yeah. Brilliant. What do do you think, Matthew? Is it the convertible, Mustafa? No, it's the the coupe, the hard It's the coupe, yeah, because the reason I, I, I... I raised that point is we're in that beautiful weather at the moment where if it was a convertible, then it would be an absolute no-brainer to sell. Yeah, your kilometers are creeping up there. I much prefer the 428. Um, I think the, the, the 420 is just woefully underpowered, and I think people realize that when they buy it. Um, yeah, it's the, the price always, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think the you know the kilometers are up there, and I think it's going to be about ninety five thousand is the value. You you might uh, be wise to advertise it on ninety nine thousand, and then look look to take offers around ninety five. But I think that's that's where it's at in terms of price. Oh, that's very nice to hear. Yeah, um, that's actually not not a bad price. Thank you, Matthew. Brilliant. No worries. Thank you very much, Mustafa. And we're going to go straight now to uh, to Ryan, who has a 2013 Ford Edge, uh, full dealership servicing, excellent condition, 64,000 kilometres. Good morning, Ryan. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, Ryan. Uh, so you've, you've got a black Ford Edge 2013, full dealership servicing. Tell us about it. Yeah, I have a Ford Edge 2013 model. I'm going to take an extended warranty for another two years. It's in excellent condition and it is uh, 64,000 kilometers. Actually, I was looking to sell it, but I am in two minds because I take good care of the car, so I don't want to let it go. But just want to know how much can I get it, uh, how much will it sell it for? Matthew, 64,000 kilometers, um, Ford Edge, black, 2013. Wow, great, great kilometers. What is the trim level? Is it is it limited? You know what the uh, the, yeah, it's, the, the trim it's limited. Yeah, okay, it's a limited, limited w- with those kilometers. First of all, that's got to be your headline. Uh, I doubt there'll be 
hardly any 2013 edges, A, with a warranty and B, with that low kilometers. So that's really going to put the, um, I mean, it's a limit of how much you can ask for this car. But traditionally, that car with normal kilometers and no warranty would sell for early 30s, 32, something like that. But I think your car is going to be closer to 40 um, because that is that is really, really fantastic. And I may even advise you to consider keeping it probably until there's about three months left of the warranty because that way you can still sell the car with relatively low miles and some more warranty remaining. Um, but then you can take benefit of having that car under warranty, which would be lovely. Actually, the warranty is already over, so I have to extend the warranty now for another two years. Yeah, so I mean, it's 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 up it's up to you how long you keep that car, but um, you know, having the benefit of a warranty means you've you've got that peace of mind that things go wrong, that Ford are going to be there to step in and, and fix them for you. But um, yeah, if I was in your position and and I and I had extended the warranty, I'd be keeping that. Uh, that car because the warranty is going to protect you and the kilometers are still low and i don't think unless you cross a hundred thousand kilometers it's going to massively impact the value too much so yeah look look at keeping it and and maybe sell it towards the the end of the warranty just to give a buyer peace of mind that it's still uh covered if anything goes wrong when they initially purchase it okay thank you matthew brilliant thanks very much ryan we're back in the driver's seat this is motor mania Dubai I 103.8. Yes, welcome back. I'm Damien Reed, and this is Fix It or Flip It. So tell us about your car, and we'll tell you how much it's worth. I am relying on the expert guidance of uh, Matthew Davis and the head of driving, uh, head of pricing at uh, Algo Driven. And uh, and Matthew, I've got uh, someone on the line straight up, Michelle. Uh, Michelle has a uh, a Corvette Centennial 2012 edition. Good morning, Michelle. Hi, good morning, Damien. Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> pleasure, pleasure. Um, so a Corvette 2012, 83,000 kilometres, maintained at the dealer, no accidents. Uh, but there's a little bit of a story to this one. Tell us about it. Yes, actually, it's my brother's car. He brought it from, he brought it from the dealer, of course. And um, he's moved to Canada, so he he's just transferred the car to me, and he was like, either keep it or sell it. So I'm like in two minds, because even if I try to find out the price, it's so difficult. Everyone gives you all different prices, because, I mean, I think there's only three or five of these cars that were sold in uh, in Dubai at that time. So I'm really in two minds, not knowing what to do with it. A Corvette 2012, 83,000 kilometres, Matthew. I know what I'd be doing, and I'll be putting it in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, morning. Did you, did, you, did you say it's the Centennial Edition? Yes, it's the 100th year anniversary one. <laughs> yeah, it's the one with the number 100 uh, that replaces the, the, the normal symbol on the car. I know this very well. Um, it's got this, I think it's the LS3 engine. 375 something like that horsepower um look this car is rare and if it's gcc there were only a handful bought in now you know when you have these cars that are so rare and people say matthew what do you price it at well you're at that level now where you pro- you price it at, at, at what you want it to be and see if someone's willing to pay it because it's so rare you're not going to get an average joe just coming along saying yeah i'll buy one of those they're just going to go for the standard c6 or c7 um, this car, 
you could price it anything between 125 and 175,000 dirhams. I mean, literally anything in that range. Um, oh. But you need you need you need somebody that is 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 that will know exactly what that car is. You know that that appreciates yes, it. Um, Damien Damien's advice isn't too bad. I mean, um, you said the kilometers were how many? Uh, eighty eighty thousand. So it's just short, yeah, look, it's just short yeah. of eighty three thousand. Look, look I, I think you could keep that for a few more years and it's not going anywhere in terms of price. Um, that's a pretty rare car, yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, it's up to you what you price it out there at. But my feeling of its value, based on what I know C6s are and, and the rarity of the Centennial, I think anything between a 125 and 175,000, your, your call, what you price it at. But understand that you can't just sell this in a traditional way. You've got to be out on social media on the Corvette clubs. You've got to not just put it on the traditional websites like Yalamota and Debizzle. You've got to get out there and put a lot more effort into this and start engaging with some of the Corvette um, owners clubs, etc. That's how you're going to move that car because everybody then becomes a salesperson for you. Yeah, I was going to ask, Matthew, could, could you actually advertise it? I mean, would it be beneficial to advertise it also on the international market as well? Uh, yeah, if it's GCC, actually taking it back to America would be uh, very difficult because of the, the, the regulations about converting it back to, to US specs, and it would be too expensive probably to do that. Yeah. Um, it might be appealing for some of the European markets, but I, I'm not sure you need to go to that effort. I mean, I think you could sell it here. You've just got to have a more um, measured approach towards it. And as I said, you know, just... Some people just have a rare car and they think, oh, I'll just put it out there on, on Debizzle or somewhere. And, and, and if it doesn't sell, then uh, it, you know, it's not for me. It doesn't work that way. You've got to get out there. And, uh, and, and I remember talking to somebody about who couldn't sell a Harley, Harley Davidson motorbike. And I said, I, I, if you join the Harley Davidson Facebook group and told them it's for sale, no. Within a couple of weeks, it was gone because all those people in that club now tell everyone else that's looking for one of these. So, yeah, I think you need to take a measured approach um, and yep. it will take some time to sell it. And in the interim period, uh, you're hanging on to a lovely asset. There you go, Michelle. You can't get much better Thank advice than so that. Much. No problem. <laughs> no, no, definitely cannot. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for us, Michelle. Now, very quickly on the line, we've got uh, we've got Kim, who has an Infinity FX thirty five two thousand and eight white with cream leather interior, good condition, no accidents, one hundred and thirty thousand kilometres, just passed the inspection. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Damo. How are you? you? Recognise my voice. I used to work with you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, with colleagues. Going way back. <laughs> so you've got the Infinity now. You had the Pajero. Yes. Yes. Right. Got, yes, got rid of the Pajero. That was a great car. So that's got good value for that as well. Yeah, well, so you've got the Infinity FX35 now, um, and uh, you're looking at uh, getting a value or are you looking to sell the car? Probably to sell it. There you go. Matthew, what do you think? 2008, Infinity FX35. Yeah, let's talk, Kim. I, I remember the uh, back in the day, I used to have an FX50, uh, which yeah. was the 5-litre V8, V8. And every time I took anyone in my car, they used to love that car, the power, the acceleration. And, and, and it was such a great car back in the day. Uh, look, yeah. this car, I, I probably think, is around 20K. That's what I think it's worth in the market right now. If you want to yeah. move it relatively quickly, put it out there at 19 fixed price. 
it, yeah. it's when you get when you get down at the lower values it's very normal to be able to say the price is fixed and also it makes yeah. life easier selling it so when somebody messages you messages you or call you say look i've priced it specifically um to move it it's 19 yeah. fixed price it's a great car if you want it here you go if not then uh, all the best but yeah I, th- i think that's what you do with this car Yeah, it's a lo- it's a lovely car. It's really good condition. But uh, yeah, my partner's just bought uh, another car, so he's kind of moving me on to his. <laughs> so it's time time to go. Oh, well, there you go, Kim. So uh, yeah, I'm attached to it. I get attached to cars. It's a lovely car. So I know. Thanks for the advice. <laughs> thanks for the advice. It's really helpful. That's a little bit more than I thought, actually. No problem, Kim. Well, I hope uh, I hope that helps. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Really helpful. Thanks. I appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, Kim. All right, Matthew. Now we're coming up now to uh, this is it. Speed quote time. I think your record before was about eight thereabouts. Yeah, eight, eight, eight's just really difficult to beat unless we motor through. I'm going to put pressure on you and ask oh, you to no. read faster. <clears throat> oh no, don't do that. Then I'll then I'll miss what I'm what I'm reading about. <laughs> got, got to get got to get all the information through. But anyway, let's 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 give it a crack anyway. And uh, your time starts. Now, right, this is a 2016 Cadillac Escalade, 84,000 kilometres, and it's white. All a lot of money, uh, 150k. Okay, Volkswagen Touareg, 2013, 3.8 litre V6 GCC spec, 250,000 kilometres. Oh, you're looking at around 35 to 40k. Okay, uh, BMW X6, 2016, 110,000 kilometres. It's got new tyres. Oh, Uh, 145k, 150. Okay, Infiniti QX70, white, 5-litre V8, 85,000 kilometres. Oh, the V8 sells a lot more than the 6, uh, about 75k. Oh, Audi Q5, white, 2015, 111,000k. Just under 60, 58k. 2014 Ford Explorer, 110,000k. 45k. 2016 Kia Soul, base model lime green, 78k. Oh, that'll still do 40,000 dirhams. 2018 Mercedes A-Class A250 white 57k. Uh, about 85. Oh. Oh, Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. You've equaled it. <laughs> <laughs> Good effort. And I tell you what, I tip my hat to you. You were plowing through them today. That was excellent. I was hoping I wasn't missing any of the vitals for you. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you got through that. That's not too bad whatsoever. Yeah, fantastic. I, I think eights, eights are, are, are uh, it's going to be really difficult to get to nine, I think, but nine's going to be the nemesis, I think. We will get there. We will get there. Um, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm just going to read one very quickly here from Paul. He says, hi, on the valuations provided, it should be noted that the top value should be based on a full service history with the dealer. What do you guys think? Yeah, well, just to let people understand how I value cars, mm. I I. I, I think very fast, but I also think about the year. So I understand if it's an older car, it probably hasn't got all total dealer history. If it's a younger car, i.e. under five years, I make assumptions that it's got full dealer history. So I do measure all these things. And, and obviously, especially when we're doing things like speed quote, then I'm just going average down the middle. But when people call up or they send a message in, I, I do measure it based on, on, on my, you know, I've been here for a long time and I, I know what, what cars not just sell for, but I know typically what kind of history they, they have and, and, and how many cars typically have um, problems and stuff. So I do factor all of that in. 
Brilliant. Well, thanks uh, Thanks so much once again, Matthew. Uh, and, of course, a big week coming up for the UAE. It's National Day. Any plans for, uh, for, for the National Day? Oh, lots of plans. I mean, celebrating 50 years of this wonderful country that's been so so good to me and so good to mostly everybody I know. So um, we're, we're very grateful and blessed to be here. I'll be enjoying. Uh, the, I've kept my kind of calendar free to enjoy what the UAE is offering. I know there's so much fireworks and things going on between the second and the fourth. Um, I'm, we've got uh, for Supercar Majlis, we're actually doing a uh, a three-day event on the 16th, 17th, and 18th of December, where we actually travel across the whole of the UAE, coast to coast, uh, stopping off in the center of the desert, um, taking a convoy of cars, and we're actually going to raise the flag of the UAE at various different points along the way. So that's going to be spectacular to see on social media when we do that. But for the actual um, National Day weekend, we've, we all want to be with our families. We all want to be with our friends and in, and in really celebrate this fantastic milestone for this country. Couldn't agree with you anymore. It's it's home for me. It's home, I know it's home for you. And the 50th anniversary, um, absolutely one to uh, to celebrate this Thursday, this this weekend. So well, thank you so much, Matthew, for Fix or Flip It. We've got a lot more coming up after this. And, of course, we've got Noel Ebden in the studio. This is Motomania on Dubai 103.8. We're back in the driver's seat on Motomania. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, we're uh, back with you. Motomania through to, uh, through, through to midday on uh, Dubai 103.8. And I'm joined in the studio with, uh, with Noel Ebden and, um, no, we we're just talking just then off air about the uh, the Ineos Grenadier. Now I got to um, go for a bit of a run in that one. You had a bit of a look at it too the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've I've been tracking this car since the day they announced it. Um, it's been uh, obviously all the kind of shenanigans that went on with the uh, Land Rover at the beginning, and uh, is it a defender? Is it not a defender? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. I think all that's done and dusted now. I mean, people can see this is a freestanding. Mm. new car manufacturer and we have to remember that it is a new car manufacturer they've not built a car before yeah um and so yeah this isn't a volkswagen or a uh, you know or a toyota or anything like that but it's it's something so different to the market and i think people need to understand what that car is actually for yeah um it's not a it's not a luxury suv that's going to replace um your uh you know your discovery or your land cruiser or whatever this is a car that's been built to be a utility vehicle is going to be yeah the, the, the people who are going to buy it are going to be overlanders who want to who want what was the old defender um to go across you know africa or whatever yeah yeah but mostly it's going to be bought by governments it's going to be bought by for military use it's going to be um, which is a massive gap in the market because yeah. there is no um there's very little in the market for that it's basically the uh, arrival to the base G wagon that you can buy in Europe that we we don't get here, uh, which is the um, you know utility one, the diesel which, type, yeah, and that exactly, thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what well, it's, it's for. It's it, Ineos is a company that was founded by by Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Now they're, they're a petrochemical manufacturer originally. They they own an equal third of the Mercedes AMG Formula One team with Mercedes itself. Um, they're the title sponsor of America's Cup sailing team, sailing team, and they own Bellstaff Clothing. So that's that's their background. Now for our region. 
as you can say, as you say, it's 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 they are going to try and spec it up with some luxury features that you might mm-hmm. not find in other parts because the company is uh, is flexible like that. But it's going to be more likely between the Land Cruiser and the G Wagon in price. Now the prototype was built in by Steyr in Austria, where the G Wagon is built. It's going to move then to a former Mercedes factory in France. Um, but as you say, it's 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 relatively simple. There's no clever terrain response systems or air suspension. It has a ladder frame chassis with a beam rear axle. The ride quality is impressive. Um, the lack of complexity is deliberate. It's a workhorse, and it's easier to re- replace a uh, a coil spring strut in the middle of nowhere than to um, limp home with uh, with blown air suspension. So, I had a chance to uh, to speak with Guy, Guy Pearson. As I, as I say, he looks after Ineos in the UK, the Middle East, and North Africa. Um, as we're out there in Sharjah earlier this week. This is the first of our what we call two B prototype four events um, anywhere in the GCC. Uh, we're in in Sharjah for a few days. Um, and um, yeah, the, the, the start has been, been everything we could hope for. Um, but the start of the project is 2017 is the start of the story, and it really kind of goes back to um, Jim and, and some of his friends um, sat around kind of lamenting the fact that these kind of vehicles, these old school ladder chassis, go anywhere, do anything vehicles were, were on the wane. There wasn't many of them anymore. Um, and I guess it's with the Ineos spirit to not sort of sit and go, yeah, someone should do something about that. It's the Ineos spirit to say, well, maybe we can do something about that. We know how to solve problems and manufacture things and make things better. So that kicked off a six-month feasibility study, and that kind of moves us to where we are today. We are an established car company. We have our own factory, which is already producing vehicles. It means we're able to learn about you know, producing vehicles and making sure the quality is great when it comes out. And from a grenadier point of view, we're now at prototype stage two of six. Uh, our approach is really around working with brilliant partners on the engineering and supply side so that we end up with a brilliant vehicle. Um, so while Ineos Automotive's never built a vehicle before, there's lots of pedigree brand names that people know and trust and, and rate, particularly in terms of these types of 4x4 vehicles, whether that's Magna for engineering, um, BMW engines, Recaro seats, Carraro axles, Brembo brakes. The, the story goes back to, to really thinking the guys were going to miss these vehicles. These are the vehicles they, they, they enjoy their leisure pursuits and their adventuring in these. So Jim's been to both poles, he's been across Africa and all, loads of other places on, on amazing expeditions and these kind of vehicles enable that. We're using these prototype vehicles out in the open, we don't hide them away, they're not camouflaged. Uh, we have a 1.8 million kilometre testing program, and, and in essence, these miles, that, these miles and kilometres that we do on these events are part of that. The production, the full series production, will start around July 2022, so we're a long way out before production, and that means that the feedback we get on these events, some of that can find its way into the engineering program. We have made changes off the back of suggestions and ideas that people have given us on these events. Um, and we will continue to do so for as long as we can within the engineering. Just in terms of, you know, we, we don't hold back. You know, we put it through its paces. You know, we put it through some proper obstacles. Mm. I mean, here in Sharjah, you know, no exception. There's some real difficult terrain here. Yeah, so that was uh, that, that's Guy Pearson, and uh, they've already received seventy five thousand inquiries globally before the orders opened at the beginning of October. They're looking around about thirty thousand per annum, and for the Middle East, it will be in the numbers will be in the hundreds. So very small numbers here. Now they're not trying to reinvent the wheel. So I asked Guy to uh, tell me about the mechanical package. No one needs an expensive Ineos engine that has never been proven that needs years and years and, and of, of, of proving and, and extra money into the development which then moves into the price of the vehicle. Nobody needs that. 
Um, so what we what we're trying to keep things very simple and very honest as well. We have. Um, we have one gearbox, we have a ZF eight-speed automatic gearbox, uh, obviously with high-low range, um, paired with um, either a petrol or a diesel BMW straight-six twin-turbo engine. Um, those are two components that, that, that do and have worked really well together for, for years and years, again, building trust and confidence. As uh, Carraro axles and, and Carraro you know, worked on lots of, of heavy-duty machinery, such as John Deere um, equipment, uh, those kind of products, say Bilstein shock absorbers, Brembo brakes, ladder chassis from Gestamped, which is just the go-to place for, for those kind of things. And Magna are also such an important partner for us. You know, Magna, with their depth and history of understanding particularly, you know, lots of different types of vehicles, but particularly these. Um, and, this, and combined with a design that was blank sheet of paper from the ground up, and, and actually from a guy in, in Toby Equio, a designer who, who's not a car designer. You know, his pedigree is really in uh, largely marine. But he looked at vehicles that are built to do a specific job, whether that's a tractor, a spitfire, um, a forager, you know, where do the buttons go in those, uh, you know, where do the buttons go in those vehicles, how are they set up to make it you know, fit for purpose, and you know, what, what our tagline is built, built on purpose. We're really working hard so that we, we bring an all-star cast together to produce something that, but, that still retains its very, very pure rationale and its reason for being that, that was there in 2017 and that we really want to make sure that customers see and feel and experience in 2022. Yeah, I mean, the, you, you touched on that point. The thing, one of the things I really like about it is the interior, and that's one of the things that on this vehicle that's this close to what we're going to see in production. The, uh, as you say, the switch key, it's, it's, it's tactile. It's not, um, it's not the big screens with haptic touch and all that sort of thing. It's not trying to be too clever. It's got a job to do, as you say, but it's it's got a very much a, an aviation theme where you've got certain controls in the middle you've got, and you've got a roof panel of controls which when you sort of first look at it it's kind of half sort of cockpit fighter pilot kind of cabin half SUV. Um, what, what's the reasoning behind behind that? A lot of that is but as I mean, Toby was looking at you know where where do all different types of vehicles and equipment um, and, I, and you know, using the roof is, is is part of that that rationale in terms of getting the ergonomics right, so that it's it, everything is convenient and it's kind of the right things in the right place. So what you find is, um, up top you've got a lot of the the equipment and switching that's maybe more occasional use. So you up there you've got your you've got your diff lockers, you've got your buttons for uh, wading and off-road mode and you've got your auxiliary function. So within the vehicle, we have wiring pre-installed that goes to certain mounting points on the vehicle. So if you've got off-road accessories, you can plug and play. You haven't got to take headlinings out, which never go back right again. Um, but there may be some of the functions that are less commonly used. Um, so um, the, um, the, the rationale is really around everything where it needs to be. Um, there isn't anything within the touch screen that can't be turned on, off, up or down with a button. Mm. Um, there's no big screen in front of the driver, which maximizes visibility. The, st the, the readouts that would normally be in front of the driver are in the first third of the, of the central screen. Which I actually found, sorry, I actually found that really interesting because not having an instrument binnacle in front of you improves your forward visibility, especially when we were climbing these very steep trails here. It allows you to see where the corners of the vehicle are going, see if you're, like there's some big ruts and washes, washouts here uh, that allows you to tread the front corners of the vehicle into where if you had the big binnacle in front 
it's kind of no man's land out there. Any any experienced off-road driver will tell you and does tell us you want to know where every cor- all four corners are, you want to be able to see the bonnet of the vehicle, and you want to be able to have maximum kind of investigation of the future terrain. Where's the best place to put the wheels? How do I best keep the vehicle stable and on a level? And you want to be able to plan that future terrain. Simply taking as much away from that, that, that driver visibility area as possible. And yeah, just moving it to that central screen. There's still the essentials in terms of warning lights in front there that, that you might need. But it's, it's very much that you can see that it's been designed without any preconceptions or anything that said, well, we'll put this here because everybody puts it here. There's none of that at all. And then it's been refined by people who use these vehicles. Yeah. You know, that, that it's not. It's not been. It's not been modified and updated by people who are used to building, you know, sedans for the highway. This has been done by people who they know where the grab handle needs to be. They know what they want to be able to see. They know that knowing where the bonnet and the and the corners are, are really important. And also they know they they're able to compare it to other vehicles like this. It's a very utilitarian vehicle, so it's, as you said from the start, it's built with a purpose in mind. It has what you'd call almost pretty much like a hose-out interior, effectively, so it's it's a, it's a, it's not pretending to be the family car to take to the shops and that sort of thing. It's, it, it's got a job at mind. Now, the vehicle we saw here today is the uh, the, the five-door estate version, if you want to call it that way. What kind of other body frames are we looking at? Because I imagine this would be particularly attractive to the likes of emergency services, uh, uh, rural ambulances and, and that sort of thing. So what kind of other body styles could we expect to see? You know, one of the many great things about the ladder chassis is it, it gives you flexibility in terms of, you know, for example, we, we do plan a double cab pickup and we will, that is that will be on a, on a longer platform. And then of course that gives us other options, you know, we can look at a longer station wagon. But as you say, we will start in GCC markets, it will be a five seat station wagon. Uh, in other markets we will offer a two seat station wagon as well but yeah that that ladder chassis gives us gives us those flexibilities and we've already announced that that pickup the the pickup are the same as with the station wagon we will do our own thing with the vehicle will have a clear identity it won't try and copy anything or or be something it's not as you said the 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 grenadier it's clear what it is about and it's clear what it's not about as well if customers do want to you know swap the rubber rubber mats out for carpet they can we'll offer those kind of things as an option the presence of things like the recaro seats are proof that we want people to be comfortable Mm. we want them to have a level of refinement but equally want to say that if you want this to be hose outable to drive it when you're you know wet hands dirty clothes you go for it because um, that is what it was designed to do and it never set out to be for everybody it's not a vehicle we want to sell to everybody we want to do a really brilliant honest job with you know a sensible level of customers if the market tell us you know, build more sell more we'd love to but we would much rather do our factories geared up for 25 30,000 units globally and we'd be super happy to do a brilliant job for 25,000 customers owning a brilliant well-built vehicle that stays on the road, doesn't break down, we repair it and service it quickly, um, then, yeah, then do a bang average job with you know, too many vehicles. Yeah, so that was Guy Pearson. He looks after Ineos for uh, for this part of the world, and uh, and as I say before, they've they've received seventy four thousand inquiries globally already. Although they're only con- looking to build about thirty thousand per annum in this in this region, it'd be in in the hundreds. Think of it as more of like a, a Morgan or a Lotus of a few years ago, in terms of their approach to uh, to more bespoke style of, of manufacturing, um, and they're distributed here through Adamus Motors and also in Bahrain, and uh, they'll be available in the second half of, the, of next year. Now, as you 
would expect. There's no prices yet on this one. Um, the UK prices are expected to be around about £48,000 from what I'm hearing, which is around about just over 230000 dirhams. Now, that's for the base truck only, which we won't get. We'll get the... Uh, the um, higher spec version than that. So, uh, yeah, waiting for that one to uh, to come through uh, to get some some ideas on when that will happen. So that's the uh, all the news on one of the most anticipated vehicles in this region and uh, the Ineos Grenadier. So uh, don't go too far away. We've got more after the break, and we're going to be speaking to Noel Ebden in the studio about car restorations and a few other bits and pieces. We're back in the driver's seat on Motormania. Only on Dubai I 103.8. Yes, with you for a little bit more till uh, midday. This is Motormania on Dubai 103.8. And uh, just to quickly wrap up on that uh, that chat we're having about Ineos before, text message from, uh, from Warren saying, do you think they would enter the Dakar rally as part of its marketing plan, introducing the world to this new vehicle? I can't see why not. I think it would be... Uh, Maybe not as a competition vehicle, but certainly as a support vehicle for, uh, for, for say, a motorcycle team or something like that. Um, they're involved in cycling, so uh, there, there is a, a connection there. Uh, Noel, got you in the studio. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, you think that, that, that could work as a service vehicle for, you know, backups for that something for... Well, they clearly love sport. I mean, yeah. you know, they're in sailing, cycling, you know, uh, F1, you name it. So, mm. um, yeah, why not? I mean, that'd be great. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know a lot of manufacturers are seeing that Dakar style cars because everyone's moving towards SUVs it makes marketing sense to do so so yeah, yeah why not yeah be great now, you've been in this region for quite some time. In fact, even longer than I have, marginally. I know, yeah. <laughs> so, Tell me about it, yeah. And uh, you and I share the, a, a, a similar passion for classic cars and restoring cars and mm-hmm. doing things and uh, that, that sort of thing. I haven't done as many as you have. Um, so <laughs> I would like to ask you as much as I think some of our listeners have also texted in. In terms of restoring old cars here, mm. um, A, should you do it? Um, I know what that answer is going to be because you have. But what are the pitfalls and, and things to try and avoid when doing it yourself? Well, wow. There, there's, there, there's a question. God, where do you start? Um, first of all, whatever your budget is, double it. Yeah. That, that, I would say yes. that for a start. Um, secondly, every garage that you go to will tell you they can do it. Most of them can't. Yep. Um, or they'll outsource it to somebody else and charge you accordingly. So find the right place to do it. Um, the key thing with restoring any old car is a finding all the rust and getting rid of it, and then the respray. Yeah. Now you can get a respray for five thousand dirhams. You can also get a respray for fifty thousand dirhams. Yeah. And there's a big difference between the two. Um, and it depends what your what you're going to use it for. If you're looking for to build a concourse uh, classic, mm. then you're going to be spending a lot of money on uh, a respray. If you're looking to just get it as a daily runner then you can spend a bit less and yeah i mean the car will still look great um i haven't spent a huge amount of money on the resprays on my cars and i've got some good results from them but uh certainly the the price of respraying a car just massively uh alter i mean it can, it can literally be as wide as as you know 45 50 000 dirhams between yeah. two different resprays um Parts are an issue. Just bear in mind that parts aren't available here. You're going to have to bring them in from probably Europe or the US uh, when you're doing up a car. Um, And it depends what you're going to buy as well. I mean, do you want to do an old Ford Mustang? Do you want to do, you know, I'm I'm currently restoring a Carmen Gear, a a Volkswagen Carmen Gear. Oh, beautiful. Um, Yeah, Yeah. and uh, that's starting to come together. Uh, But 
I, I have to buy every single part from Europe, and a lot mm. of the parts are, um, as we say in the in the car industry, unobtainium. Yeah. Um, so you know you've got to buy secondhand parts and refurbish them and stuff like that. So you've got to know what you're doing. You've got to you've got to have a good place to, for example, replate bolts mm. and uh, chrome stuff, and all those things are, are, hard, are getting harder and harder to do, especially with environmental legislation and things like that. So yeah. Um, it's not easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, double, whatever your budget is, double it, and whatever, however easy you think it's going to be, double, you know, double, double your expectations <laughs> on how long it's going to take as well. Well, yeah. that's an interesting thing because a lot of people uh, suggest that this region is perhaps too harsh for classic cars because of the heat, the sand, the traffic that you end up being stuck in when you're picking up or delivering it to a workshop somewhere. Is it a place where you can really enjoy an old classic car? Uh, or is it something that, that really, if you, you would do it and then maybe use it as a car to either take back to your home country or has it as, as um, an off-roading classic where you can use it here? Um, so there's a lot of – I mean, would you daily a classic? No, mm. um, let's be honest. Um, do they – get hot in traffic yes they do um and i mean the better maintained they are and the better you put them together you can drive them in traffic and it's not a problem uh the it just depends how how well built the car is i have you know I've, I've got classic cars that i can that can sit in traffic quite happily uh, yeah. all day long so it's but then you know, you take them on the free. I, I did a track day recently with one of mine, and you know, I could do about four laps before yep. it got a little bit too hot. And a modern car wouldn't, um, so I had to sort of keep coming into the pits, let it cool down a bit. Yeah, but, uh, yeah that's how it works. Okay, and now very quickly, uh, historic registration versus full registration. You say not dialing. What what would you advise? Uh, it always looks good to have the proper Dubai plates on the yeah. car, um, but. Uh, the classic test is a lot less strict than the uh, Dubai than the standard Dubai test, um, so it depends on the car. If you've got an absolutely mint condition seventies nine eleven, you're probably going to get it through on normal plates. If you've yeah. got something that is a bit different uh, or perhaps has high emissions, etc., and uh, things like that, then you're going to need to go with classic yeah. plates. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, believe it or not, we've run out of time. Um, ah. so, so <laughs> As thanks, always. Thanks so much for joining <laughs> us, Noel Ebden. Uh, and that's just about all we've got time for on Motormania for this week. Don't forget, during the week, next week, we've got the uh, the Jeddah Formula One next weekend. We've also got the Dubai Historic Formula One happening at the Dubai Autodrome. Do not forget uh, that one. Happy 50th anniversary to the UAE this week's National Day on Thursday. Uh, but that's about it for uh, for us today. Enjoy the upcoming National Day long weekend. And uh, if you want to uh, us to feature a car or talk about any road safety issues get in touch with us on 4001 or via the ARN play app or call us on 04871 and don't forget uh, stick around with the uh, the guys and gals from the grill this afternoon with all your sporting action that will be uh, off a little later this afternoon and uh, it will uh, we'll sign you out with a bit of Roy Orbison and we'll see you in two weeks time